You're listening to the Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 50 Malware Pop Up Spawns Metafiction. Buy it, use it, break it, fix it, trash it, change it, mail, upgrade it, charge it, point it, zoom it, press it, snap it, work it, quick, erase it, write it, cut it, paste it, save it, load it, check it, quick, rewrite it. Technologic. 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 Percy, now. Forever driving up a hill, thinking of soup and death, and doing the dirty with Peggy and her ample hips, and now me thinking of... Pablo Neruda penning, I love you as certain dark things are to be loved, in secret, between the shadow and the soul. Just a phase. I read one of your drafts, Harry. You refer to it as a novella. Mm -hmm. And it's titled Malware, which is interesting, the word itself, because it's the word mal, which is an ill feeling or something that is like a malaise, it's mm-hmm. not feeling well, or right. something is wrong. And then, of course, the word in it is where, hardware, software, and any number of things in technology, among other things. Right. Interestingly, that word malware applies to both art and technology. And reading the book, I found that it was quite direct. There was an openness to it, an overtness to it that I don't normally find or haven't read recently. It's outwardly sexual explicit in its nature. It really delves into what I would refer to as the real world and not the world that we generally present to people. And this is an individual, he's a 65-year-old man who's basically driving a car up a hill. The entire story takes place in literally a few minutes. But you, of course, have used 20 or 30,000 words roughly to describe this Mm -hmm. event. About 25,000 words. About 25,000 words. What led you to write this book? And we did discuss it briefly prior to beginning this podcast, and you had made reference to the fact that you had experienced a technological problem yourself, which kind of led to the idea of this book. Well, let me put it this way. It's a bit of the reverse. I already had a kernel of an idea for what the book would be about, about a man on a hill. I wanted to write a book that was kind of stream of consciousness Mm -hmm. and where the entire book would take place within a few minutes, let's say. Okay. Much like uh, the book Ulysses, where Leopold Bloom walks through Dublin in the course of a day and Ulysses, the book, is Mm -hmm. born out of all of his thoughts and experiences, perceptions, etc. And so I had this kernel in my mind, but I didn't know how to start it up. And then one day, I opened my computer up and did some stuff on it, and suddenly a pop-up came up saying something to the effect of, there's real issues here, you better shut this computer down now, shut down now, shut down now. And I had no recourse, it it didn't allow me to do anything else except shut down. So I shut the computer down and waited for, I don't know, 20 minutes or something, fired it back up and it seemed to be okay. But then the idea occurred to me when I started to write the book Malware, that that's how the book would begin. Mm -hmm. By the writer himself, or the author, at a computer that is malfunctioning in that way. And it occurred to me that that malfunction and the waiting for it to kind of leave, for the evil to leave the computer, if you like, is similar to a man on a hill waiting and worrying about what lies over the crest of the hill. Okay. So my main character is in this place, in this car, 
He's 65 years old, and he's driving up this hill, thinking about his wife and how tenuous marriage can be, and his son, who's ungrateful and never talks to him, his work life, his sexual fantasies, because he's a very imaginative guy. He has a kind of double life going on. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned son, because this is a theme that I recall reading the book really runs throughout the book. Father-son relationships are an integral part of this story because you're also dealing with his father and his son. Yeah, his father is a professor of history mm-hmm. and always pontificating about the power of history in the past and all this stuff. And his name is Percy Barnum Thurman. This is the main character. Mm-hmm. Percy's relationship with his own son is problematic. He's fucked up in many occasion with his boy who just can't see himself forgiving his dad for all of these faux pas, walking in on him with his girlfriend making out in their bedroom yeah, yeah. in the middle of the night and giving them hell for that. Just stuff that... That happens in everyday life. Well, it does, I suppose, but it, make, families, it anyway. makes the character rather unlikable. Mm-hmm. So I have a character here who is not that likable, who thinks prurient thoughts about young women and all that stuff in the imagination, not really acting out on it, but thinking those thoughts. And that's the part of the book that I personally found interesting, is that you delve in areas that people don't normally discuss, but you know that those elements are there. Well, sure. I mean, you can scratch the surface of any sophisticated human being on the planet and you'll find sexuality roiling around in the primal belly of that person. You'll find thoughts about death and dying that are there. Mm -hmm. All those stresses and strains of living in the world, their job and all that stuff. It's all there, but it doesn't get expressed very often. In fact, if it did get expressed, that person would probably lose all their friends and their family very quickly and have to be a hermit in a mountain because they wouldn't have any friends anymore. Mm -hmm. And this guy is rather like that in his mind. So he and that's an important distinction. Yeah, because most of what we sort of think and feel, etc., is like the 90% of the iceberg that's underwater. We don't right. express that 90%. We express the 10%. We show the 10%. We show it to people. So people's perception of us is based upon that 10%. Yes. But if they knew the other 90%, they may not think the same thoughts about us. And so as a writer, as an author, I realize that I've created a character who's not that likable, who thinks these thoughts that are kind of reprehensible in a lot of people's eyes, Mm -hmm. like Portnoy in Portnoy's Complaint or Holden Caulfield in Catcher in the Rye. These are characters. Yeah, these are characters who are kind of authentically who they are. And because they are that, they're not that likable in this world of ours. But that's what I found interesting, actually, because it's very human. Mm-hmm. And it discusses things that many people think but don't necessarily express. Yeah. And it really shows life from another perspective, mm-hmm. uh, which to me kind of endears you to the character, even if you may not like him. There's a certain empathy that one reaches, at least I did. Well, I hope so. I mean, this character is not all bad. There mm-hmm. are some redeeming qualities. He actually does love his wife contrary to what he seems to be saying or thinking or imagining. Mm -hmm. And he does love his son. He wants his son to love him back. All of these things are redeeming characteristics. He just can't figure out a way to actually do it, to make it happen. Which is true for a lot of people in real life. Sure, yeah. And in the end, he realizes kind of uh, how he would be condemned by the religious types as this kind of a sinner 
Because in Christian religion, of course, it's not just your actions that create sins, but your very thoughts. Mm-hmm. So in, in the eyes of a Christian zealot, for example, he would be a major sinner. And in the end, he has to say, I forgive them for their thoughts and fuck them because yeah, yeah. I don't care. And in some ways, you created this book, uh, as you expressed, art as an act of defiance. Yeah. And, you know, after the fact, I kind of realized that the way this book unfolds is a bit like a surrealist painting or something. The surrealist movement from the 1920s and 30s mm-hmm. was an act of defiance against the destruction World War One uh, of World War One, the rational, logical ways of approaching art and literature that kind of pervaded yes. that period. And they wanted to be defiant in the face of that and create work out of the unconscious, pure purely given directly from the unconscious onto the canvas or the page, Mm -hmm. pure, truthful communication without going through the filter of literary techniques, the old forms of the novel or uh, how to paint to create something fresh. And they created a movement which was fresh and changed the landscape of art. So I see the book in some ways in that vein, that it's a kind of a defiance in the face of the typical novel and the typical way of telling a story. Box, box. So, what's your story? Me to joke refers to several somewhat different, but related categories, self-referential jokes, jokes about jokes, and joke templates. Self-referential jokes, this kind of me to joke is a joke in which a familiar class of jokes is part of the joke. Examples of me to jokes? A woman walked into a pub and asked the barman for a double entendre. So he gave it to her. An Irishman walks past a bar. A dyslexic man walks into a bra. Two men walk into a bar. You'd think one of them would have seen it. Two men walk into a bar. A seal walks into a club. Two men walk into a bar. But the third one is too short and walks right under it. Today's horoscope. You are easily influenced by what you read and have the ability to make vague sentences somehow applicable to your own existence. Jokes about jokes, me to humor is humor about humor. Box box. You use the term metafiction. Yeah. To describe the style of the book. Explain a little bit more on that. Well, metafiction really is, or meta itself, is a word that kind of means self-referential. Yes. So, for example, a book that reminds the reader that they're reading a book through it, through the book, puts him in a very strange place. The reader is no longer reading just a story and immersed in it, nor are they aware that they're reading a book, but they have to be aware that both of those things are happening at the same time. Simultaneous actions. Yeah, and that changes your synapses when you get Mm -hmm. that kind of experience. And so the way that happens is, for example, the narrator might break the fourth wall and instead of just telling the story, talks directly to the reader. Hi, folks, it's me here. Mm -hmm. I'm the writer. I'm the narrator. And this is how I feel about what's going on. And so you never know who's actually really speaking or doing the talking in the book. Because is it the writer? Is it the author? Is it the character? Uh, For me, that was part of what made it interesting. Well, I hope so. I mean, that's why I think the book is probably not going to be liked by a lot of people, Mm. because the style of it might be too strange for people who are used to the traditional third person narrative that novels have had, the structure of the novel, which it kind of blows apart in the way it flows. 
and the unlikability of the character, the kind of sexist quality of the character is a misogynist in different ways. And Misogynist, you know, but not in a really strong sense. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't hate women, no. but he sees them very much as sexual objects a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of women, I suspect, are going to go, what the hell is this? Who is this guy? I don't like this. I don't like seeing this book. And it won't pass the Bechdel test, which is a test for art where it uh, measures how often or how much of the book, for example, women are talking about stuff with each other that has nothing to do with men. Mm-hmm. It assesses it from a kind of feminist perspective, and it certainly won't pass the Bechdel test. And that's too bad, because it is what it is. And as a work of art, it has to stay true to itself and not be beholden to some kind of arbitrary test for gender equality or something. And as a stream of consciousness work of art, as a writer, as an author, I had to let it be what it became. I couldn't artificially put my sense of morality or ethics or political correctness into it. One has to let it be what it is and then give birth to it, whether it's a monster or an angel. Some people may think this is a monster. How much of yourself was in this book, Harry? A lot. I think a lot of myself was in the book. Not everything, of course, because the character has their own mm-hmm. way of thinking about the world, and his situation is not my situation. I don't have a son, etc. So, no, it wasn't me just being directly in the book. But, of course, lots of the elements of the book fit in a bit with my way of thinking about the world, about psychology, how people operate mm-hmm. in the world. I found the uphill image that I had while I was reading the book, a perfect metaphor, the uphill battle uh, of sorts. That image stuck with me as I was reading it. I kept imagining him inching up that road and looking out the window and losing himself in his thoughts. Yeah, like the myth of Sisyphus, Sisyphus rolling the rock up the hill for eternity. Mm -hmm. A bit like Ulysses, as I mentioned before, the kind of purgatorial sort of place. Limbo. And that, yeah, limbo, that purgatory is an element of the book. There's a chapter where his father teaches him about purgatory and sin and grace and that sort of thing. And there's a number of times where the situation is alluded to like it's a purgatory, an in-between place. And he's on this hill, and he doesn't know what's on the crest, what's over the crest. It could be a million dollars handed to him, or it could be a Mack truck coming in the other direction, Mm -hmm. or a woman pushing a pram across the road. You don't know, and that creates a lot of anxiety. I don't know about you, but I've had that experience driving up a hill, seeing the crest, and thinking, I need to slow down to a crawl, because what could be over that hill? I've had that thought. (laughs) So it kind of represents the existential angst and worry of the modern person, the modern human being. Facing the unexpected. Because in this Mm -hmm. world of the internet and of fast-moving technologies, anything does happen at any time. The book is pretty much finished. Yeah. I love the cover, by the way. Thank you. And I also like the fact that you've changed the actual physical dimensions of the book. You've Mm -hmm. gone to a four and a half by eight format. Yeah, narrow and tallish rather than the usual kind of five and a half by eight. Which which in itself kind of analogous to technology and that it looks like a Samsung or iPhone 8. Yeah, pretty well. And I I thought, you know, it's a short book, so it should be a small book as well. Mm -hmm. Something that people can carry around in their purses or their man purses or whatever they use Mm -hmm. and read on the subway to work or the go bus. 
Yes. And you're also going to self-publishing mode. Well, I'm going to give publishers a few more months to bite on it. And if they don't bite on it, I'll self-publish it myself, as I've done with all of my other books. It's not a difficult process anymore. No. No, it's very easy, self-publishing. People with even a very basic understanding of technology, of how computers work and the internet, can go to one of these sites and be walked through the steps to upload the text and the cover, etc. And lo and behold, you order a book, it comes to you, and there's a hard book mm -hmm. in your hand of your published work. It also allows people that don't have a lot of capital to begin the process, at least to get it going. Actually, no investment to set it up. You need to purchase a book or two to proofread it, and that mm -hmm. costs a little bit, but not very much at all. And then you don't have to order thousands of books anymore. You can order 10 if you only want 10. And you can have a test run. Test run. Uh, you mm -hmm. can have it automatically uploaded to as an ebook. You can have it uploaded as a book for sale on Amazon if you go through, say, createspace.com. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of options. The challenge, of course, with self-publishing is what do you do once the book is printed? The promotion. Typically, a publishing company will promote, market, mm -hmm. get you on tours, get it reviewed, all that stuff. And now you're responsible for that if you self-publish. That's a big, big challenge. Not an easy task, but that's generally what technology has done for many artists. Mm -hmm. You still end up with a product that you have to sell or move. Yep. And that's a whole other situation. Yeah, it is. Uh, but the, the upside is that once it's printed and you have it on a website like Amazon, or in mm -hmm. my case, my own website, mm -hmm. uh, where you can buy the book directly, it can be there for years and years and years. Yes. In the old days with publishing companies who print your book, they get it out, and if it's not selling within six months, it just goes on to the delete right. pile stacks, and it's reduced in price, and it's, that's it. That's mm -hmm. the life of the book. You're more in control of your own product. You're totally in control mm -hmm. of it. Wouldn't you say that a big part of this step that you've taken is because you've taught yourself at least some basics? Yeah. I had to go through figuring out how it works and making mistakes, etc. Mm -hmm. And now because I know the technology and I know the website and how it works, I'm able to mitigate against those mistakes I made and be a bit more artistic with the book, a bit more visual, playful. Yep. These days, a self-published book can look really professional, really good. Absolutely. Provided you get good design on the cover. A lot of self-published authors make the mistake of letting their neighbor do the cover or their, their daughter or whoever throw together something, or they do it themselves, and they're not very good at design. And, mm -hmm. and again, to repeat, I really like the cover. Yeah, well, see, I have my nephew's wife, uh, Heather Brady, who's doing the cover, and she's great. She's a designer. So, yeah, you really need to pull together the book as a marketing tool. You have to treat it very professionally. Exactly. You have to act like a publisher, in other words. <laughs> great learning experience. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't you find that it's affected even the quality of your work? Sure. And, and with this particular book, unlike with the other books, I'm actually planning out a kind of marketing strategy where I might do an audio, I might do a video promo for it, and try to get the word out in advance so that when it does get out there, people already know about it and be able to go and pick it up. Mm -hmm. So do you have any expectations for this book? <laughs> I think I said I expect a lot of people to dislike it because of the character and who they are. Mm -hmm. But then I expect a small portion of people to absolutely love the book. It's probably the best thing I've written in terms of just its sheer honesty. 
It's also well-written, I think. Mm-hmm. And as a writer, one evolves and hopefully gets better with each book. If you didn't get better with each book, why are you doing it? Give us a time frame when this book, the idea began and where you are now. How much time has elapsed? Uh, about a year and a half. A lot of it came very quickly. So the first draft probably came within four months or three months. Mm-hmm. And then it became revising, adding new chapters, getting some feedback from friends, adding more chapters, and then eventually adding visuals because I've added now visuals to this book that weren't there before. Because the way the book is written, it's written in short bursts, right. short chapters, but very densely written. Uh, I tend to play with grammar and uh, mm-hmm. leave out commas where I don't think they're needed. And I've played with the idea of uh, capitalization and bolding certain words. And I began with just full pages of text. And so I'm playing with uh, the page, the space on the page, the rhythm that the reader has to uh, Mm -hmm. engage in to read the book. There's a lot that goes into it. People don't get that often about writers and what they put into their books. How much would you say the times we live in have affected the actual creation and content of this book? Huge, huge. I mean, think about the internet. Think about social media and the way information is kind of scrolled past our eyes in these short bursts. Mm -hmm. This book in some ways echoes that. There are short bursts of his memories of his life that kind of flow scrolling past him as he's trying to make his way up the hill. He's kind of scrolling his way up the hill Mm -hmm. and his life is scrolling its way back down through him, so to speak, as he's driving. Like words appearing on a computer screen. Yeah, in some ways. So it does reflect, in some ways, the times we live in, although the book itself doesn't take place in absolute current time. It kind of goes back through his life from 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. It does reflect the way technology has infiltrated like a malware into our lives. So there's the infiltration of the malware in terms of technology, and there's the infiltration of malware into our psyches. Mm -hmm. Because in some ways, his malware, his psychological malware, has been infected And that's the reason people, I think, will dislike him and dislike the book, because they're reading a kind of psychological case of malware happening. But then again, it's like looking at an individual, who they are, and understanding the problem that they have. They're two very different things. Yeah, hopefully people can at least sympathize with where this person is, even though they don't agree with the way they approach the world. Mm -hmm. They can somehow understand the dilemma that this character finds himself in. So here you are, the book is done. You've worked on it for a year, year and a half through various drafts. Mm -hmm. Has it changed your perception or your feelings about self or future projects that you might undertake? Yeah, in the sense that I think it's very hard to go back from this kind of honesty in one's writing. It's Mm -hmm. very hard for me to backtrack into the old forms, the old ways of looking at the world, the Mm -hmm. safe PC way of creating stuff in the world. I think I have to move forward in this vein and stay true to self, stay true to what art is supposed to be in the world, which is an act of defiance in general. And tough to stay at 10% when you're digging into the 90%. Yeah, because the tendency is once you've opened the Pandora's box, the flying monkeys from Wizard of Oz come shooting out in hordes, picking up little girls and little boys in there. I'll get you, my pretty. And suddenly, oh my God, what have I done? 
I've let loose the darkness, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. The spiders are out. The spiders are out. Watch yeah. out. We're coming yeah, to yeah. get you. Well, I'm looking forward to the actual finished product. I just think it's an interesting project, period. Well, watch out for it. Malware coming out probably in September. September, okay. Yep. Forthcoming information can be found on posnerbooks.com. That's P-O-S-N-E-R-B-O-O-K-S.com. You got it. Thanks, Harry. You're welcome. Technologic. 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 Buy it, use it, break it, fix it, crash it, change it, mail, upgrade it, charge it, point it, zoom it, press it, snap it, work it, cook it, erase it, write it, cut it, paste it, save it, load it. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com. Thank you.